Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. going to talk for more than 30 minutes i'm not going to talk for more than 30 minutes i'm not oh hey everybody spoiler alert uh i actually did write that into my intro and then i wrote a 25 page script so this is definitely going to be a lot more than 30 minutes so welcome back to episode five of my reply brief series where i'm doing an episode by episode breakdown and reply to a series that the prosecutors podcast did on the adnan syed case in today's episode i'm going to be covering their episode five And to be 100% honest, it was this episode that triggered me to create this rebuttal series to begin with. Up until this point, I was listening to their coverage, and yes, I was a little frustrated because they seemed to be obviously breezing past some important elements of the case in order to make their narrative fit, but truthfully, you have to remember, it's been eight years since I investigated this case, so I didn't remember all the details that I have since shared with you in the series. And really, I had never actually taken the time to use the call logs with Google Maps to figure out just how actually impossible the state's theory actually is. So I was listening at the gym and listening while I was out training my dog and cleaning the barn. But I remember the exact moment when I decided that something needed to be done here. I was mowing my lawn and listening to episode five, and I heard a series of things that I did remember and I knew were not true which of course caused me to go back to the beginning and question everything Brett and Alice were telling me. As you've heard in this series up to now, it's not a short list of straight-up misrepresentations of the evidence that they put out in their podcast. But I specifically remember at that one moment realizing, this is why people are suddenly convinced Adnan is guilty. I know this case better than a lot of people. It was my full-time job to learn it for almost a year. And I forgot so many details that I didn't even realize I was being lied to. Brett and Alice speak with confidence, and they state things as fact that really do make Adnan look guilty. The problem being that those things are not actually facts. Anyway, the thing that caught my attention was when Brett was talking about Officer Adcock contacting Don on the day Hay went missing. Now let me be clear, this is not about Don. I'm not going to be discussing Don as a suspect or anyone else. That's not what this series is about. This is about Adnan and the case against him. But what stopped me in my tracks was that for the first time, I heard something that I knew right away was not a misrepresentation or misinterpretation. It was a straight-up lie. It was made up. As Brett was talking about the events of January 13th into the 14th, he said that Officer Adcock was trying to get a hold of Don that evening, and they, quote, played phone tag. He said that Adcock called Don 
Don called him back, and there were calls back and forth, and they finally connected at 1.30 a.m. None of that is true. And I knew that because the fact is, Adcock wasn't able to get a hold of Don till 1.30 a.m. has always been a mystery. And let's face it, it is suspicious. This is what we learned from the actual record. While at the Lee's house, Adcock calls Don's home number with, quote, negative results. We learned later from Don himself that he got home about 7 p.m. and he was given that message that the police wanted to talk to him about hay from his father. Adcock also called Lens Crafters and he spoke with the manager. The manager would be Don's mother. Don's mom told Adcock that Hay was supposed to work that night, but she didn't show up and she hadn't heard from her. So Adcock had called Don's house and he had called Lens Crafters and spoke with Don's mother. Then, in Adcock's report, he later writes, quote, I spoke with victim Lee's boyfriend, Don. Don advised that he doesn't know the whereabouts of Miss Lee. Don advised that he talked to Lee last on 112. It should be noted that I spoke to Don on 114 at 1.30 a.m., end quote. No phone tag, no back and forth, no Don calling him back. And I thought maybe I missed something, so I went to Adcock's trial testimony to see if we get a better explanation, and we do. Adcock testified that he called Don earlier in the evening, and then later he was at the station and he made a follow-up call to Don at 1.30 a.m., where Don said the last time he had spoke with Hay was the night before, and he didn't know where she was. There was no phone tag. Don never tried to call Adcock back. What Brett said there is completely made up. And for those of you that are upset that I have said Brett and Alice have lied in their presentation of the case, what else am I supposed to call that? This is just one example of many. I've already shared several other examples. They convince people that Adnan is guilty, and any theory about anyone else being a suspect is a crazy conspiracy theory by straight up lying about these facts. Brett even says at this point in the episode, So for any of you who think Don was unreachable, or was out doing something else, or think that he was out burying Hay's body, that's not the case. He called Adcock back, and they were just playing phone tag. Again, I'll point out that my point here is not to say that Don did this. The point is that you've been lied to, repeatedly. And not for nothing, but this episode is full of Brett and Alice picking apart every word Adnan says, every move he makes, and they spend a good portion of their airtime on this one explaining how literally everything Adnan does makes him look guilty and shows how he's a liar. But what they don't seem to be bothered by at all is that Hay and Don were supposed to meet after work that night. That's what Hay had said, and that's what Don says later in another interview. But in this interview, on the night Hay went missing, after the police called Don's house, after the police called Don's mom, who knew Hay hadn't shown up for work, when Adcock finally gets a hold of Don at 1.30 a.m., all Don tells them is that he doesn't know where Hay is and that he hadn't talked to her since the day before. Now, I want you to listen to their episode 5. I want you to listen to the scrutiny they put on what Adnan tells the police, and then listen to them breeze right by Don's interactions and the lies that they tell to try to sanitize him. Now, I'm not about to pretend to know how they think, so I'll just tell you how I think. My personal opinion about Don and his behavior that night. Don had a date with Hay. She didn't show up to work. The cops are trying to contact him about her whereabouts and she, of course, didn't show up for their date. Now, in last week's episode, Alice goes on and on about how Adnan didn't call or page Hay after missing his ride and how important that is. But this is what I think is important and is worth noting. 
just as a comparison to what Brett and Alice think is suspicious. Don didn't call or page Hay when she didn't show up for work at his mom's store. Don didn't call or page Hay after he got the message that the police were calling him because they didn't know where Hay is. Don didn't call or page Hay when she didn't show up for their date, after the police had called him and his mother. Don didn't call or page Hay after he finally talked to the police and they told him that Hay was officially missing. And Don didn't bother to tell police that Hay had made plans to meet with them that night after work and she never showed up. All he said was that he didn't know where she was. Knowing all of that, you tell me if it seems like Brett and Alice are taking an unbiased and fact-based approach to this case. Compare their dismissal of all of that to their attacks on Adnan for his behaviors. All right, moving on, that's out of order in our timeline, but I just wanted to share the story of what prompted me to do this series to begin with. For the rest of the episode, I'm going to try to move quickly and just talk about the points that they either got wrong or they spent a significant amount of time on trying to convince you of how certain things make Adnan look guilty. The reason for the length of the episode is that in order to do that, I have to go through a lot of records and show you what is actually in the case file. After the work that we've done in the first five episodes, actually examining the evidence in the case and the maps and the times, really everything from this point forward is kind of a futile effort. They're going to spend several episodes trying to convince you that there couldn't be a conspiracy. In my opinion, if they wanted to prove that Adnan is guilty, what they should have been doing is explaining to you how this whole murder and burial actually happened, rather than just call it a basic story. And that should be your first clue when listening to their episodes. If I want to prove to you that something happened, I'm going to go through the evidence and show you how I know it happened. But that's not what Brett and Alice do at all. They never, in 14 episodes, tell you how things actually happened. They breeze by all that and just call it that basic story and spend this entire series attacking alternate theories. They're trying to lead you into Adnan being guilty by process of elimination. If you think I'm wrong about that, listen again. Don't just take my word for it. The entire 14 episodes, until the very end when they share their theories, which still aren't rooted in evidence, the entirety of their effort is aimed at convincing you not to look too closely at what Jay and Jen say and trying to make you feel stupid for believing anything other than Adnan killed Hay. And again, I can't stress this enough. Please do not take my word for that. I want you to listen for yourself. I think it's important for you to realize for yourself how intentional their manipulation was. Two prosecutors spend 16 hours presenting a case and never once actually tell you how the defendant committed the murders. And that's exactly how their episode 5 begins. They start out by telling you that this case is not different than any other. Timelines are always inaccurate and, quote, squishy is the word they use. They see this all the time in the cases they prosecute. It's normal for details not to line up. And then they get into the timeline of events, starting with Don speaking to the police at 1.30 a.m. on the 14th, which I've already covered. And like I said, I'm just going to hit on the things that I think are problematic in the way they presented them. They have full episodes later on on Jen and Jay's story, so I'll save the detailed breakdowns of those until we get there. They talk about how on Friday the 15th, we have Krista's birthday party. And again, the theme of this episode is very clearly to attack Adnan and convince you that he's both suspicious and a liar. So Brett and Alice say that Krista says that Adnan seemed unconcerned about Hay at this party. She's been missing for two days at this point, 
and he doesn't seem worried. What they don't tell you is that what was actually said was that no one, none of Hay's' friends were concerned at this point. There was no school on Thursday or Friday. Everyone thought Hay must be running around with Don, or as they say, had gone to California. More on that later. And conveniently, it's never stated on the prosecutor series where that rumor came from, the California rumor. But Krista has said, along with other friends of Hayes, that it wasn't until after this party that they all started to worry. It wasn't just Adnan that seemed unconcerned. No one was concerned at this point. A convenient fact that they left out. So then we jump to the 21st, so eight days after Hayes' disappearance. Here we get Brett and Alice once again focusing on Jay and Adnan's relationship. And this is such a weird take. But they are super confident that Adnan is lying about how close he is to Jay. So supposedly, Jay and Adnan committed this murder and burial together on the 13th, and then they have no communication for eight days after that. Then Adnan calls Jay, and that's supposed to be strange for two people who aren't really good friends, talking to each other with eight days in between. I'm jumping ahead, but to tie this together, we get the same argument when they point out that Adnan called Jay again five days after this, and again the next day. And on the 31st, Adnan calls Jay seven times throughout the day. They go on and on about how this is clear evidence that they are closer friends than what both Adnan and Jay say. And that's all subjective, but this is the way I see it. On the 13th, that's one day where Jay and Adnan spend some time together. One day. Then, they don't hang out or talk for over a week. Then Adnan calls Jay one time. Remember, they both say that Jay is Adnan's weed supplier. Now, another five days go by with no contact. Then there's another day with one call to Jay, and then one call the next day. Then four days of no contact. Then Adnan calls Jay a few times in the morning and a few times in the afternoon on the 31st. To me, this looks exactly like a not-so-close friend. They don't talk or hang out every day, or even most days. On the days they do hang out, there are a few calls, but the days are spread out. It's just my opinion, but I don't find it to be this huge smoking gun that Adnan and Jay are lying about their friendship because over the course of a month, they talk to each other on five different days. Moving on to the 22nd of January, Don has his second interview with police. This is the interview that, when I covered the case years ago, brought up some concerns for me. Now, when Brett and Alice describe it, it's quick. Don doesn't really know anything. Here he says that he and Hay were supposed to meet that night, and she didn't show up, which he didn't mention in his first interview. And again, my point here isn't to cast suspicions on Don. My point is to expose the obvious double standard. Remember last week when I told you that the fact that Adnan offered up that he had asked Hay for a ride on the night of the murder, but later, after she had been missing for 10 days, he said he doesn't remember asking for a ride, didn't concern me. The reason being that had he killed Hay during that ride, he would have known to distance himself from that ride on day one, but he didn't. I said last week that had he lied about the ride that night, I would be concerned, because at that point, no one should have known that anything bad had happened to Hay. So there's no reason to lie about it then. But that's exactly what happened with Don. His plans that night revolved around Hay. They had a date. And when he was interviewed that night, he failed to mention that they were supposed to be together that day. Don was interviewed on the night Hay disappeared and again the next day. And in neither of those interviews does he ever mention the plan or the fact that he was at work that day in either of those interviews. So Hayes' family had a family friend that was some kind of investigator or consultant who they contacted on the very night that Hay went missing to help find her. She also interviewed Don right away. And that's where we find the source of the California rumor. 
First of all, I want to circle back to what Brett and Alice said earlier in the episode about Adnan not being concerned about Hay at Krista's birthday party. So like I said earlier, it wasn't just Adnan. No one was concerned at that point. But another thing to point out is that Brett and Alice say that at that point, Adnan thought Hay was in California because they say that was the rumor going around. And that is another lie. Let me read to you from Becky's police statement where she's talking about this very party. Quote, somebody brought Hay up during party, mentioned she wasn't there. We all assumed she was at Don's house, end quote. So again, these are not mistakes. It seems that Brett and Alice choose their lies pretty carefully. They're trying to spin a narrative where there is no reason to suspect Don, but there is reason to suspect Adnan. So when they relay this information, they change, quote, we all assumed she was at Don's house to Adnan wasn't concerned and said he just thought she was in California. Later in that statement, Becky talks about Tuesday the 19th, the first day that everyone was back in school. Quote, on Tuesday the 19th, first day back to school, someone mentioned that the office called during her second period class and asked if she was there. She's talking about Hay here. After school and photography room developing film, Adnan started talking about it getting worried because she wasn't coming to school and to the party, which was a big deal. School really important to her. Figured she was at Don's. Idea of her going to California did not come up until later. End quote. So here we go again. First of all, it's conveniently not mentioned at all that when Hay didn't show up to the party or school, Adnan was worried. And again, they say that Adnan was assuming Hay was in California when the document that they have cited on multiple occasions clearly says that everyone, everyone thought Hay was at Don's. It wasn't until later that this California rumor surfaced. They're just lying. There's no other way to put it. They're lying about what the record says in order to push their narrative. And now, getting back to the California rumor, that rumor didn't come from any of Hay's friends or family. It came from Don himself. He is the one that set off that wild goose chase. From the private investigator's report after she interviewed Don, quote, Don appeared mature, articulate, but not overly concerned. Although helpful and polite, he did not sound in any way emotionally concerned with Haley's disappearance. He felt she had gone to California to be with her father. But he did state that he hoped she would contact him. He did say that she had a girlfriend whose parents were away on vacation for the week. He did not know who it was, but offered the information, quote, just in case. So that was the second time the PI talked to Don. The first time, this is what the report says, quote, Don stated that they had gone out together the night before the disappearance on January 12th. He confirmed that this was the last time he saw her. He said that he called her later to assure she had arrived home safely. During the date, he claims she told him that she'd had an argument with her mother earlier that day and that she had expressed the desire to live with her father in California. When asked how she would accomplish this, Don seemed to think she would either drive there or leave her car in the satellite parking lot at BWI Airport and fly by commercial airline to California. He did not appear as enthused about their relationship as Haley's diary indicates that she was. End quote. So that's the truth. 
Adnan did not think Hay was in California, nor did any of her friends. Everyone thought she was with Don, probably because of what Debbie told police in her interview. She said that she saw Hay about 3 p.m. on the day she went missing, and Hay told her that she was going to the mall to see Don. No one thought she was in California because no one knew Don. He told the PI that Hay had a friend whose parents were home for a week, but no friend has ever been identified whose parents weren't home. He told them that she said she may want to go see her father in California, which threw up red flags for me immediately because Hay's father lives in Korea. It was her mom's ex-boyfriend who lived in California. If Hay was actually opening up about wanting to move there to be with him, I would imagine that the actual nature of the relationship would have come up. And Don said that she would either drive there or park her car at a specific parking lot at the airport and fly, the satellite parking lot. That's going to come up again later. So these things were concerning to me because it appears to be an attempt at misdirecting the police. It could also be nothing at all. But what I do know is that not only was none of this scrutinized on their podcast, the fact that he was interviewed four times before he ever said that he was at work that day, the fact that he failed to mention that he had plans with Hay that day in at least his first three interviews, and the fact that he directed investigators to three different locations to look for Hay, all revolving around a narrative that he made up about her going to California to see her father, who's not her father. Or the fact that twice the PI noted that Don didn't give a shit about Hay being missing. Or the fact that both his father and his mother knew that the police were looking for her by 7 p.m. Don was told that the police were looking for Hay just after 7 p.m. by his dad. And the fact that they had plans to see each other that night and he never so much as paged her, much less call her. None of that was of any concern to the prosecutors. And in contrast, they instead said Adnan was the one who wasn't concerned. And changed the fact that everyone thought Hay was with Don because according to Debbie, that's who she was going to see, to everyone thought she was in California, a rumor that was started by Don and no one even knew about until later, after Debbie contacted Don. Remember that seven-hour phone call? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Anyway, that's a lot about Don, but I want to try to keep the focus on Brett and Alice's deceptions here. Their series leaves you to believe that you are insane. I believe they use the word ridiculous or ludicrous in another episode. If you have any suspicions about Don at all. And they pulled that off by just lying to you about what was in the actual case file, not telling you about much of what Don said, and then spinning the entire thing to explain away any suspicious behavior. Moving on with their timeline, Brett and Ellis next talk about an incident where the track team was driving through Leakin Park on a bus, and one of the team members made a comment that this is where people bury bodies. They say this occurred on January 25th. Now this one I don't really even know what to say about. They spend quite a bit of time on it because, again, remember that the overarching theme of this episode is that Adnan is a liar. I can't say if this did or didn't happen because they don't cite a source. They don't say who it is that said it. I don't know if this is a comment from Serial. I haven't been able to find anything about it in the case file. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist somewhere, but I certainly haven't been able to find it anywhere. So the point they make is that Adnan is clearly lying when on Serial he says that he doesn't know where Leakin Park is. Brett laughs and laughs about this. He keeps saying that Adnan absolutely would know where Leakin Park is and that bodies are buried there. Everyone would know because it's so close to the school. And he uses this comment that he doesn't source from an unnamed track teammate as proof that Adnan is a liar. He's lying when he says that, well, Brett says that Adnan says he didn't know people buried bodies in Lincoln Park. But from my memory, what he actually said was that he didn't know where Lincoln Park is. But either way, go listen for yourself. It's such a stretch, especially in comparison to how normal all of Jay's lies are. Here are the assumptions that Brett makes. Number one, that the incident actually occurred. Also, that Adnan was listening and heard that interaction, and everyone at that school knew exactly where Leakin Park was, so he concludes that Adnan is absolutely lying. This is my position on the subject of the location of Leakin Park. Lots of people who went to Woodlawn High over the years have spoken up about this, to me, on podcasts, on Reddit, and they've all said that they still to this day don't know where Leakin Park is. So, I certainly cannot conclude that everyone absolutely knew where it was. And as I mentioned last week, if you ever drive through it, you'll see that the, quote, park is nothing more than a side road through a wooded area. But with that said, I have to concede this one because I have no idea where the source comes from or who said it or if it's verified. So, I can't really argue it. The only source that I've been able to find is the Reddit timeline that they seem to be basing their entire series on, where it says that this is something that happened without any source links. On that same day is when Adnan is interviewed again, and it's in this interview where he says that he doesn't recall asking Hay for a ride. It doesn't think he said that to Adcock on that night. We talked about what this could mean last week, and really it's up to you to decide. If he's lying, if he forgot, and if he's lying, what that might mean. Brett actually says during this segment exactly what I said last week. It's very common for innocent people to lie during investigations because they feel like they're being targeted. But then he says it's different for Adnan for reasons that I certainly do not understand. One thing I'll offer here is that there is another possible explanation for the discrepancy. Remember what Debbie said in her statement. Adnan got rides from Hay all the time, almost every day. 
the ride was from one side of the school to the other. This was a very common occurrence. Now, we don't have a transcript or a recording of this interview with Adnan, just notes. So one possibility for you just to consider is the idea that the officer was asking if Adnan asked for a ride home. Remember, Adnan said he would never ask Hay for a ride because she had to pick up her cousin after school. It seems like maybe he doesn't consider a ride around the parking lot a ride. I don't know. I think it's at least worth throwing out there that all the talks about rides were regarding a ride home. And there are only three sources for the ride request. Krista, who overheard Adnan ask, she said that she assumed the ride was to get Adnan's car, but she has been very clear that she did not actually hear that said. The thing about Krista is she was never there in the afternoon, so she was unaware of the rides around the school. So all she heard was Adnan ask Hay if she could give him a ride, and then she jumped to the conclusion that it must be that Adnan doesn't have his car. And that's where the whole ask for a ride to get his car that was in the shop came from. But it's always stated as though everyone knew that, but that's not true. It literally was only Krista who ever said that. Again, she made an assumption, and that became the narrative. No matter how many times she has said she didn't actually hear that said, that's still the narrative that's pushed. Now, The second source is Adnan himself, who on that night said that he had asked Hay for a ride, but he didn't get the ride. And the third source, the only other direct witness about the ride, is Becky, who witnessed after school Adnan ask Hay for the ride, Hay said she couldn't because she had to pick up her cousin. Adnan said, no problem, I'll ask someone else. And then they walked away in opposite directions. And from there, we have multiple witness statements of people seeing Adnan at one side of the school and witness statements from people seeing Hay without Adnan on the other side of the school. And that's it. Those are all of the sources about the ride. It's always talked about like everyone knew about this ride. But all of that was just rumor. Those were the only actual sources. Those three people. Krista, Adnan, and Becky. So now consider that the ride was just a ride around the school, something that apparently occurred all the time, almost every day. And if this is a world where Adnan is innocent, just like Becky said, it wasn't a big deal at all. But then almost two weeks later, Adnan is asked if he asked Hay for a ride home or if he asked Hay for a ride to get his car, and he said no. He had his own car, and Hay had to get her cousin every day. He wouldn't ask her for a ride. Plus, he had track practice. He had no reason to get a ride anywhere. That's purely speculation on my part, but I think it needs to at least be tossed into the pool of possibilities as to why Adnan said he hadn't asked for a ride that day. In the following few days, Brett and Alice are desperately trying to connect interactions between Jay and Adnan to Adnan being nervous about being caught. On the 26th of January, Adnan calls Jay. It's been five days since they've spoken. Alice points out that Adnan is calling Jay after he's interviewed by police. Bum, bum, bum. But it was the next day. Now, if Adnan was interviewed by police and he called Jay 10 minutes later, that's something to talk about. But here, Adnan is interviewed by police, goes on about the rest of his day and night, goes to school the next day, then gives Jay a call. I'm sorry, but trying to connect these two events a day apart is kind of a stretch. It's a hell of a stretch, actually. And then we get to the next big gotcha. And this is one of the elements that's been making the rounds on social media as proof that Adnan was checking to see if the police had found Hay's body. So Adnan talks to the police after his track meet on the 25th. O'Shea had stopped by his house while he was at the meet and left his business card and Adnan calls him back. And I need to make a correction to what I just said a minute ago. 
The big lie in this interview was that Adnan said he didn't know Hay had a boyfriend. The ride is not discussed in this interview. That's the next one. So anyway, Adnan does this phone interview at around 6 p.m. on the 25th. 24 hours later, at 6.37 p.m. on the 26th, Adnan calls Jay. So this is supposed to be him checking in with Jay after talking to the police. Adnan is so concerned, he doesn't call Jay right away, or even that night, calls him the following evening. About four hours after that call, at 10.30 p.m., Jay and Jen get pulled over, and Jay gets arrested for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. And here's where the fudging of facts starts to come in. So all we know about the arrest is when it happened, and we know that Jay was home the next day. To my knowledge, it's not documented anywhere what time Jay was released. But Brett says that Jay is dealing with all of this at the station, and this lasts until the next morning when he's released. As far as I've been able to find, that's pure speculation on Brett's part. If I'm wrong, feel free to correct me, but I've not seen any documentation that says that. So that's the first kind of fudge. Jay doesn't get released till the next morning. I don't believe that we actually know that. Also, it doesn't matter. Because here is the point that they are working towards. And this is literally pulled right from the Reddit timeline. So at 4.44 p.m. on the 27th, the day after Jay was arrested for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest, Adnan's phone calls Jay's friend slash weed supplier, Patrick. Now first, I'm going to give you Brett and Alice's theory on this. Again, pulled straight from the Reddit post. Then I'll share with you my opinion on what's actually going on here. So the big important thing with this phone call, the one that's been circling the internet since this episode aired, is that this phone call pinged off the Leakin Park cell tower, and it's the only time that Adnan's phone ever hits that tower other than the day of the murder. That 444 call to Patrick is 12 seconds long. What's interesting is that Adnan doesn't know Patrick. So here's the theory. Adnan got word that Jay had been arrested the night before, and he's freaking out. He wants to know if Jay told the cops anything, so he's driving to the burial site to see if the cops have found Hay's body, and he's calling Patrick to find out why Jay was arrested. Not Jen, who was with Jay when he was arrested, not Jay himself, but Patrick, Jay's pot dealer, who Adnan doesn't know. Now, that's a 12-second call, and that includes ringing time, so most likely Patrick didn't even answer. And then, one minute later, at 4.45 p.m., the phone calls Christy, another one of Jay's friends, who doesn't know Adnan, doesn't even know his name. It's not explained how Adnan has Patrick and Christy's numbers, but here he's supposedly calling Christy to also see why Jay was arrested, and to find out if it's safe to call Jay. That call is a minute and 49 seconds. This call hits a different tower, but one in the same area of town. They say in the episode that this tower covers the spot where Hayes' car was parked, which is true, but it's the wrong sector. It's the west-facing sector, and the car was parked to the east of the tower. Then, two minutes later, at 4.49 p.m., another call to Patrick. This one is 39 whole seconds long, and it's still hitting the same sector as the call to Christy, which, by the way, does not cover where her car was parked, and it does not cover the burial site. It's just in the same part of town. So then, 27 minutes later, at 5.17 p.m., the phone calls Jay's home landline. For this call, the phone is now pinging the tower that covers Woodlawn High School. After that, we have a series of incoming calls that are pinging the sector that covers Adnan's house and mosque area. So here's the theory again. 
Adnan gets word that Jay has been arrested and he freaks out. So he drives to the burial site to see if the police had found Hay's body. Weirdly, he calls Patrick while he's in Lincoln Park, but he's off of that tower and out of that area literally seconds later when he calls Christy. So like he must have already confirmed Hay's body wasn't found before he called Patrick. Someone Adnan doesn't know because Adnan needs to be sure that it's safe to call Jay. Then he calls Christy, who he also doesn't know for the same reason. Uh, Then he calls Patrick again, and it's in this 39-second phone call that Patrick explains that Jay was only arrested for unrelated charges, and it's safe to call him. Then Adnan drives up to the high school, waits almost a half hour, and then calls Jay, and they talk for two minutes. That's the theory. One of my biggest pet peeves with this section, and Brett and Alice say this repeatedly throughout their series, is that the phone is in Leakin Park during this call. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. A ping off that tower and sector does not mean the phone is in Leakin Park. It means the phone is in that sector's coverage area, which also includes Edmondson Avenue, and wait for it, Patrick's fucking house. In fact, in fact, both the Leakin Park tower and the second tower that was pinged during these three calls cover Patrick's house. So one way to spin this is that Adnan is checking to see if the body was found and calling people he doesn't know to find out if it's safe to call Jay. Now, it should be noted that there's no evidence whatsoever that Adnan was ever even informed that Jay had been arrested the night before, but the theory assumes that he does know. So there's one of the big smoking guns. This is the only time Adnan's phone has ever been in Leakin Park other than the day of the murders, and it just happens to be the day after Jay was arrested while Jay is out and free. Now, let me share with you what I think happened, which sure seems to me like the more logical explanation. Jay had Adnan's phone and car again. I would say obviously, but I suppose it's not obvious to some people. So first of all, when people say that this is the only time Adnan's phone ever pinged that sector other than the night of the murder, they're absolutely right from the records we have. It's also the only other time that the phone called Patrick, Jay's pot dealer, who lives in the range of that sector. Almost like, in both instances, Jay has the phone, makes a call to his dealer, and then goes to his dealer's house to buy weed. Things we know. There was track practice on this day, on the 27th. No one has ever investigated if Adnan was at track practice on this Wednesday afternoon, so there's no way to prove that he was there. But we did hear from one of Adnan's teammates on Serial, who said he couldn't say if Jay picked Adnan up after track practice on the day of the murder, because that was a common occurrence. Pretty strong evidence that it wasn't out of the ordinary for Jay to have Adnan's car while he was at track practice. So shockingly, just like on the day Hay was killed, Adnan's phone calls pot dealer Patrick, and then the phone pings the tower that covers Patrick's house. A quick side note. Someone on Twitter said to me that the location of Patrick's house is mislabeled on some of the maps out there. I don't know if that's true, but the new location that they say is Patrick's house, while not directly covered by the Leakin Park sector, is very close, and the route to his house is absolutely covered by that sector. So, either way, you either have the phone pinging on the sector that covers Patrick's house, or the sector that covers the route to Patrick's house on the only two days where Patrick is ever called. So, let me lay out to you my theory, and it's up to you to decide which seed's more logical. 
Adnan had track practice that day, and he lets Jay borrow his car again. It's another Wednesday. While Adnan is at track practice from 3.30-ish or 4 till 5.30, Jay's driving around with his car and phone. Jay has to pick Adnan up at 5.30, which, as we heard, wasn't unusual. Jay calls Patrick, goes to his house to buy some marijuana. He also calls Christy while he's out, and at 5.17, he returns to Woodlawn to pick Adnan up. He's got a few minutes to wait. He calls home. At 5.30, track gets out. Jay gets dropped off at home, and by 6.07, Adnan is home and using his phone. It's pretty amazing to me that people that literally laugh at the idea of two detectives doing to Jay precisely what they have done to other witnesses in the past can at the same time present a theory that suggests Adnan skipped practice, somehow found out Jay had been arrested, doesn't call Jay or even Jay's friend that he was with when he got arrested, but instead calls Jay's drug dealer for 12 seconds to see if Jay snitched, and he called the drug dealer after he had supposedly already gone to the burial site and confirmed that the body wasn't disturbed. Remember, seconds later, he calls Christy from a tower that does not cover the burial site. And we have no idea how Adnan even has Patrick's number unless he stored it in his Nokia after Jay called him two weeks earlier. Then Adnan calls Christy, a girl who doesn't even know his name. But for some reason, again, Adnan has her phone number and he calls her to see if it's safe to call Jay. And then another 39 seconds to Jay's drug dealer, I guess, to make sure it's still safe. All the while connecting to towers that either cover Patrick's house or the route to and from Patrick's house. Then Adnan just happens to go back to Woodlawn, the place where he's currently skipping track practice, and calls Jay's landline a half hour after he made sure that it's safe to call, and then he goes home. Good grief. You want a conspiracy theory? That, my friends, is a conspiracy theory. In my opinion, it's pretty clear what's actually happening here. The phone was calling people that only Jay knows during Adnan's track practice because Jay had Adnan's phone. And the reason the phone was calling Jay's pot dealer from the towers that cover his pot dealer's house is because he was fucking buying pot. But of course, I encourage you all to go listen to Brett and Alice frame this up and you form your own opinion. Don't take my word for it. Just don't expect them to mention the fact that those towers cover Patrick's house. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Moving on, the next day, January 28th, Brett and Alice state as a fact that it is the day that Jen told her friend Nicole that Adnan had strangled Hay. Which is pretty damning, since Hay's body hadn't been found yet, except for the fact that the source of that information is Jen. Jen said she told Nicole, but Nicole has never confirmed that. But here's what they didn't mention. They just skipped past this line from their Reddit script. On the 28th, Debbie Warren is interviewed. Now, I've shared with you one of her later interviews where she's asked about Adnan, and we learn about the meeting in the guidance counselor's office. But at this point, on January 28th, this is just two weeks after Hay went missing. Adnan isn't a suspect yet, and Hay's body hasn't been found, so she's just missing. Now, listen closely to this episode on the prosecutors. 
Brett states when he's telling you what a liar Adnan is and when Adnan is interviewed just two weeks later, there's no way that he could have forgotten anything that quickly. Well, here's Debbie being asked about Han the day she went missing, just two weeks later, just like Adnan. And again, Brett and Alice chose not to share this detail with you, and you'll see why. Here's the report from Debbie's interview. Quote, On January 28, 1999, the assigned interviewed Debbie Warren. Debbie said she saw Hay at approximately 3 o'clock on the 13th. Hay was by herself, and she was inside the school near the gym. Hay told Debbie that she was going to see Don at the mall. Debbie did not see Hay leave the school. End quote. Interesting that they neglected to share in their Just the Facts timeline that Debbie not only saw Hay alone near the gym, where Inez Butler saw Hay leave alone, and that the last thing that Hay said to Debbie was that she was going to see Don. Like I said, not accusing Don of anything, but I'm pointing out that Brett and Alice are purposely misleading you and trying to sanitize Don in order to make it seem crazy for you to think that he should be suspected at all. Because after listening to all these episodes multiple times, I finally realized that that's their entire M.O. They can't prove to you that Adnan is guilty, so instead, they're trying to eliminate any other possibility. But anyway, moving on quickly. January 31st, Adnan calls Jay a few times in the morning and a few times in the evening, total of seven. Proof, of course, that they are better friends than they both let on. Then on February 1st, Officer O'Shea interviews Adnan again. This is his third interview now. In this interview, O'Shea asks Adnan if he had asked for the ride to school. And Adnan says that's not right because he has his own car. He wouldn't need to ask for a ride. And again, this is up for you all to debate whether he's lying for God or something else. It's been two and a half weeks since he went missing at this point. They also talk here about teacher Hope Shaw distributing a list of questions about Adnan amongst the students at O'Shea's request. We hear again the story of Adnan borrowing Debbie's notebook, which contained this questions, and when he returned it, the list was gone. We also hear that Adnan confronted Hope about the questions. Now again, this is all up for you to make sense of. Innocent or guilty, Adnan found out that a teacher is sending around a bunch of questions about him regarding Hay being missing. They don't explain this in their episode, but to quote Hope, she said that Adnan came into her classroom and said, quote, Are you asking questions about me? Because my parents don't know everything that goes on in my life and I would appreciate it if you would not ask questions about me, end quote. Next, we hear that, quote, by February 2nd, Jay tells his friend Chris about Adnan killing Hay, end quote. If you heard that and you were wondering where that is sourced, the source is Serial, in an interview with Chris 15 years later. And the date, February 2nd, is kind of presented, at least the way I took it, is like corroborated by Chris that the conversation happened a week before Hay's body was found. In actuality, Brett just backed into February 2nd because, in Chris's 2014 interview, he said it was a week before the body was found. And of course, they never cite an interview with a podcaster 15 years after the fact as their source. They just say it's fact. But the Chris situation is kind of interesting. So the reason Sarah Koenig tracked Chris down was because in one of Jay's interviews, he told Ritz and McGillivary that he had told Chris about the murder. What's interesting is that there's no record of them ever contacting Chris to confirm the story. Odd, isn't it? They have this witness that keeps changing his story. They know they're going to have credibility issues. And Jay presents them with a name and phone number. They ask for the phone number as though they're going to actually contact Chris. But they never do. 
that really would have been a good corroboration of Jay's story if someone was told about the murder from him before anyone knew it was a murder. But we have no interview with Chris until Sarah Koenig interviews him and he shares this whole story about how Adnan killed Hay in the library and we get the trunk pop happening, I think, outside a pool hall. But no worries, Brett says, quote, I don't put a lot of stock into Jay saying where and when the murder happened, end quote. Right. So it's not important at all that the only witness to Adnan committing this crime has no idea whatsoever where it happened or where he was shown the body or when any of this happened. And in all of his versions has never told a single version of a story that is even physically possible. That is, of course, nothing to worry about. Then on February 4th, we have another kind of Chris-like situation. So Jen says that on the 4th, she and Jay are hanging out at a bar and they see a news report about Hay being missing. Jen says that she told a friend that if the girl ended up being dead, she knows who did it. No name given, and of course, there's no follow-up to find this mystery friend. So again, the source is Jen herself. February 9th, Alonzo Sellers finds Hay's body. We'll talk more about Sellers in another episode. I'm going to try to zoom through as many of these facts as I can that we all agree on. The next day, the search for Hay's car is top priority. Hourly requests are made to be on the lookout for her car. Brett and Alice are going to point out all the times that Ritz and McGillivray make efforts to find the car and use that as an example of how ridiculous it is to think that they already knew where it was on February 27th. I'm not going to belabor the point other than to remind you that from my perspective, my theory is that the car was probably found on the 27th or very close to then. I think that was the trigger for them to go ahead and use Jay to close this case. So just know that's my theory as I tick off these timeline details. On the 12th, officers are asked to canvas the area looking for Hayes' car again. That same day, the anonymous call comes in that says that they need to be looking at Adnan and that he had told his friend Yasser that if he was ever going to do anything to Hay, he would dump her car in the lake. Now we go to the 15th, and we have a bit more fudging here. Police interview Yasser. They ask him if he was the one who made the call, and he says no. They ask him if he's talked to Adnan since Hay's disappearance, and he says that they have spoken, but not about anything pertinent to the investigation. Then the officer asks Yasser, quote, if Adnan had been involved and he wanted to get rid of the car, where would he do so? Yasser indicated somewhere in the woods, possibly in Centennial Lake or the Inner Harbor, end quote. So Brett characterizes that as Yasser, quote, essentially confirming what the anonymous caller said. But that's not true. He didn't confirm anything. He was asked if Adnan said anything to him about hay, which is what the caller said. And Yasser said no. Then he was asked a hypothetical about where Adnan might hide the car if he had killed Hay, and Yasser says probably in the lake or the harbor. The point of the anonymous call was that Adnan had said that, but according to Yasser, he never did. My personal guess is that Yasser probably just vocalized where he thought Adnan might hide the car, and the caller conflated that into Adnan actually saying that. Whatever the case, the anonymous caller got the investigator's attention. That same day they interviewed Yasser, they also pulled Adnan over. They used him not wearing a seatbelt as the reason, but what they were really doing was getting Adnan's cell phone number so they could pull his records. On the 16th, they subpoena Adnan's cell phone records. The next day, they request a helicopter to look for Hayes' car, but the request is denied. That's also the day that they received the cell records from AT&T. Now, this is one of the strangest things in Brett and Alice's whole series. 
One of the reasons that I started listening to it was because people on social media kept tagging me over and over again saying that Adnan is guilty because Jay and Jen told their stories to police before the police had the phone records. Which, of course, was pretty wild to hear since I knew that they absolutely did have the cell records before they interviewed Jen and Jay on the record. I thought these people must have misheard Brett and Alice because surely they wouldn't be lying about something that obvious. And then I listened, and they sure as hell do lie about it, over and over and over again throughout this series. They continually say that the police did not have Adnan's phone records before Jay and Jen's interviews, and therefore the police could not have fabricated the story. But what is really weird is that in this episode, they actually share the dates when Ritz and McGillivary got the records. But then for the rest of the series, they act like it didn't happen. It's super strange. So let me go through it. They subpoenaed the records on the 16th. They received them on the 17th. They had the call log and the towers, but the tower locations were redacted. The next day, on the 18th, they get a judge to sign a court order forcing AT&T to give them the cell tower locations. On the 20th, they fax the order to AT&T. And on February 22nd, five days before Jen is first interviewed, Ritz and McGillivary received the cell site locations from AT&T. If you listen to their series, take note of this. We know that they know that Ritz and McGillivary had the call log with towers and tower locations on February 22nd. But then as you continue to listen, take note of how many times they say that the detectives didn't have the cell records before they interviewed Jen. So if you're one of those people who have been hanging your hat on this, here's the truth. They absolutely had the tower locations on February 22nd. There's no question at all. They had the records. It's in their reports. The orders and productions are in the case file, and Brett and Alice themselves fucking said it in this episode. Anyway, on the 20th of February, they put out the Eastern Seaboard Bulletin to look for Hayes' car again. I think we can all agree they probably haven't found it yet. From the 15th on, Ritz and McGillivary are on Adnan like a dog on a bone. At first, they seem to be looking heavily into Adnan and Sellers. Then Sellers just drops away, and it's all about Adnan after about the 20th, really about the 15th. They do keep looking at Sellers a little bit. He failed a polygraph on the 18th, and he was brought back in and passed one on the 24th, but more on that later. But Ritz and McGillivary are pulling Adnan's phone records. They're sending subpoenas and getting the names of the numbers that were called. They're getting Yasser's phone records. They're checking to see if they can match soil from the crime scene to anything at Adnan's house. And on the 26th, they interview Adnan at his house in the presence of his father. There's not much to this interview. Adnan confirms his relationship with Hay. He's asked if he's ever been in her car. He says yes. And he says he doesn't remember exactly what he was doing on that day six weeks prior. There's no questions asking about Hay's ride in this interview. Something to note here is that while Adnan is asked about asking Hay for a ride a couple times over a month and a half, he has never been asked to recall what he did that day. Brett and Alice keep making the point that Adnan was interviewed on the night Hay went missing, and again two weeks later, so his memory should be pretty fresh. But the fact is that when it comes to what he was doing that day, no one ever asked him. Someone sent to me a screenshot today where either Brett or Alice were responding on Facebook that me pointing to Debbie saying that she had a conversation with Adnan in the guidance office is silly because Debbie said it happened about 2.45, and Asia said Adnan was in the library until 2.40. As if in this one instance, times must be exact. Of course, for Adnan, not for Jay. Even though Debbie is clearly estimating around 245, and it's about a two and a half minute walk from the library to the school, I know that because I've walked it and timed it myself. 
But then they say that Debbie's statement conflicts with Adnan's own statement, since Adnan has never said he went to the guidance counselor's office after school. Now, you can do with that what you will, but I think it's imperative to point out that the, quote, statement that they're referring to is Adnan's interview with Sarah Koenig in 2014. That's the first time we have any record of him trying to account for his day. And he says repeatedly in those interviews that he doesn't actually remember the details. Because for him, that school day was just an ordinary day. And we know from the record that throughout this entire investigation, Adnan was never asked about these details and movements. So here's my opinion on all of that. Just my opinion. If Adnan was guilty and he did all the things Brett and Alice say that he did to intentionally create this brilliant alibi, we would have a detailed account of his day. We would hear from him back in 1999 that he was in the library, then the guidance office. He was hanging out with his buddy Jay and called Nisha, then went to track practice. But if we're talking about an innocent Adnan, yes, I expect him to remember some details about that night, and we do. He says he'll never forget when he reached across Jay to get his phone out of his glove box when Officer Adcock called him. That was an unusual, shocking event, and he does remember it. He remembers being high when he was talking to Adcock. He remembers talking to Krista and Aisha about Hay being missing. He remembers her not going to the party on Friday and not showing up to school on Tuesday. But if we're talking about an innocent Adnan, everything before he got that call from Adcock was irrelevant. There's no reason for him to trace his steps and commit to memory what time he went to the guidance office or how long he was in the library. He had no idea anything bad had happened to Hay and certainly wouldn't think that he would be a suspect in a crime that he didn't even know occurred. But that's just my feelings on the topic. I'm not saying you have to believe he's innocent or guilty. I'm just saying if you consider it from a perspective where maybe he is innocent, then it sure makes a lot of sense why he couldn't tell you what time he went to the guidance counselor's office hours before anyone knew there was ever going to be a problem with Hay and that she would be missing and certainly not that she would be killed. Moving on, I'm trying to get to the finish line here. After interviewing Adnan on the 26th, McGillivary goes to Jen's house. Jen tells this story on Serial. She says that she was in her car with Christy in front of her house, and he asked her if she was Jen Pusateri and asked why Adnan would be calling her. According to the police report, Jen said that she didn't know anything, but she agreed to go to the police station later that night to talk to McGillivary. Jen goes to the police station at about 9 p.m. and tells them exactly nothing. She doesn't know anything. On Serial, Jen said that she then talked to Jay that night, and Jay told her to, quote, send them to me. Now, to be fair and transparent, at trial, Jen testifies that after she spoke with the police, she was mad at Jay and didn't talk to him again until after March 15th, conveniently after he had given all his interviews. That's in direct conflict with what she has said in later interviews where she says that she talked to him on that very night. But the best source that Brett and Alice will never mention and never do is what Jen told the police during her recorded interview when she tells the whole story on the 27th. From the transcript, quote, Jay told me last night that it was Adnar's car that he was in, that he brought to my house, end quote. Super annoying, by the way, that she keeps calling him Adnar. But the point is, she straight up says it in that interview that she was talking to Jay about all this the night before. So she was lying at trial when she said she didn't speak to him. She did talk to him. She said it right then. She said it on Serial. So any of you who keep saying that Jen didn't talk to Jay before her interview, check the receipts. She absolutely did. She said so on tape to the police on the 27th. 
And here's something else that Brett and Alice don't mention, and I'm only going to touch on now. We'll get into it in more detail in a later episode. According to Jay's manager at the adult bookstore, on this day, the 26th, before Jay or Jen share their story with police, Jay missed work for the second time in a week because he was being interviewed at the police station about Hayes' murder. Again, there will be more on that later, but I want to at least touch on it here because you're going to hear Brett and Alice say over and over and over again that Jen's story couldn't have been built around anything that the police pushed on to Jay because Jay never talked to the police until after Jen shared her story. In this case file, and even on their Reddit post, these statements are in there. Ritz and McGillivary never documented these interviews and claim they never happened. But Jay's boss says that Jay was picked up and taken in for questioning twice when he was supposed to be at work before Jen was interviewed. So if that's true, the timeline actually goes like this. McGillivary goes to Jen's house and asks Jen about the phone calling her. She agrees to go to the police station later. She goes to the police station at around 9 o'clock and she doesn't know anything. Then, according to Jay's boss, Jay is taken to the police station that night and interviewed off the record for at least the second time. Then that very night, according to Jen herself, Jen and Jay have a conversation about the investigation. And then the next day, on February 27th, Jen, quote, comes clean. Now, on the same day before Jay is interviewed, a Sergeant Layman contacted the Transit Authority at the airport and asked that the park and ride lots and the satellite lots be checked for Hayes' car. Now, this is a pretty good indication that Hayes' car had not been located yet. So if you're someone who thinks that the car was found a month before this, I don't know if there's anybody out there that actually thinks that, as Brett and Alice point out, but that's a hard argument to make. We'll get more into the car stuff later, but just some things to be thinking about. Remember where Don said that the police should look for Hayes' car back in the first few days she was missing? He said she might park her car in the satellite lot at the airport. And here, the day the case breaks open, we have a request for those exact satellite lots to be checked. And this is the last request that's ever made in the search for Hayes' car. It's found later that night, right out in the open in a grass parking lot less than two miles from the burial site. So if you're of the belief that police moved the car, and I'm not saying that's what happened, I'm just pointing out that if that is your theory, in my opinion, the only thing that makes sense is that they found the car on the 27th exactly where Don said to look for it. And if you're thinking, that's ridiculous. If that was the case, why wouldn't they just arrest Don then? They couldn't. Remember, as far as they knew, Don had a rock-solid alibi. His manager, who they did not know was his stepmother, had alibied him, reading off the times he clocked in and out of work. But what they did have, according to Jay's boss, was Jay already on the hook. But anyway, at 1 p.m. on the 27th, Jen's interviewed at her lawyer's house. Then at 3.45, she's interviewed again at the police station. This is when she spills the beans. Uh, she has her mother and her lawyer present. There are episodes that are coming that are going to get into the details of Jen's story, so I'm not going to dig into them here. Brett and Alice read the report from this interview, but don't quote the actual transcript. In the report, it says that Jen told police that Jay and Adnan buried Hayes' body in the, quote, 4400 block of North Franklintown Road, end quote. And this is why we're going to get into the actual transcripts later. Seems unlikely that that's how Jen would have phrased it. 
The report also says that Jen told them that Adnan ditched Hay's car at 600 Edgewood Street. So again, this is some sleight of hand Brett and Alice used to make all of this seem more credible than it really is. So they have Jen's transcript. They have it. But instead of quoting it, they read McGillivary's report on the interview. In that report, it says that in this interview, Jen told the police that Adnan and Jay ditched the car at this address on Edgewood Street. Then at the end of their timeline, they share the actual address on Edgewood where the car was found, and it's just off by a couple blocks, and Brett says, so Jen was pretty close. So now you're thinking, how the hell did Jen know where the car was unless Adnan is actually guilty? But here's the thing. Jen didn't say that. Not even close. I spent the last hour rereading her entire interview transcript because apparently I love creating more work for myself, but this is actually ridiculous. So this is what Jen actually said directly from the transcript of her interview. Quote, Sergeant Lehman, it's been a lot of publicity lately that we're looking for the car. Jen, right. Lehman, we can't find the car. Jen, right. Lehman, did Jay ever mention to you about the car? Jen, no. Lehman, does he know the car? Jen, he's never told me if he does know. End quote. So again, if you're one of the people claiming that Jen knew where the car was, or as Brett put it, pretty close to where it was, Jen didn't know shit about the car. Nothing. And stranger yet, for you crazy conspiracy theorists out there, how interesting is it that Jen clearly says she has no idea where the car is, but when McGillivary writes the report for the interview, he writes down where the car is, or pretty close, as Brett put it, to where the car is. Same road, just a couple blocks away. Weird, huh? So Jen's interview ends at 5.15 p.m., six hours pass, and at 11.30, Jay's picked up supposedly from the video store. There's more weirdness around that, but I don't have time to get into it this week. He has a 55-minute unrecorded pre-interview. The official narrative is that Jay told Ritz and McGillivary during the pre-interview where the car was, and for whatever reason, they didn't think that was important enough to write down in their notes. Then he gives this recorded interview. We'll talk about those details later. At the end of the recorded interview, Ritz says that Jay had told him that he's willing to take them to Hayes' car. Jay agrees, and off they go. No notes and no recording of Jay actually telling them where the car is located, which is interesting because if you've ever listened to the experts I've had on the show about statement analysis, particularly Jim Trainum, they'll tell you that what you should be listening for to confirm that you're not hearing a false confession are details that the suspect shares that aren't already known by police they should be able to give more information than what's already known. And if you read this interview, what does Jay tell police that they don't already know? They have the cell records and ping locations already. They know how Hay was killed. They know where she was buried. They know what she was wearing. They know how her body was positioned. They know they found a red fiber in the grave with her. They know all that. So what does Jay share that couldn't have come from the police themselves? Nothing. He adds, nothing. And in fact, most of what he says as far as the hows and whens all conflict with the actual evidence. It's impossible. We hear that Hay was pretzeled up in the trunk of her car. That is new information. It's also false, but it's new. There's no evidence whatsoever that Hay was ever in the trunk of her car, and the lividity proves that she was not pretzeled up in the trunk for four hours and then buried. So what are we left with? What did Jay actually add? The car location. Except he didn't. Nothing in the notes, nothing in the interview. He never says where the car is located. 
Then when he's testifying at trial, he admits, although it's not noted in the police report, that, quote, I did not show them a location that was true, end quote. Based on his own testimony, they take off from the police station. Jay's supposed to be leading him to the car, but he doesn't. Now, we know that eventually that night they end up at Hayes' car, and it'll be debated until the end of time whether or not Jay actually knew where the car was or if the police took him to it. Unfortunately for the guilty crowd, even if Jay did know where the car was, it still doesn't have anything to do with Adnan's guilt. Jay himself in later interviews has said that he actually came across the car when he was just in the area, just happened across it. And of course, Jay has yet to tell any version of a story that actually fits any of the evidence. So, if you insist that Jay knew where the car was, Ritz and McGillivary didn't think it was important enough to write down in the pre-interview, they didn't think it was important enough to ask him where it was while the tape was rolling, Jay was lying or confused during cross-examination when he said he took them to the wrong place, if you think all that's true and truly believe that Jay led the police to Hayes' car, you know what? I'll just let you have that one. Now, if you can just explain to me how and when Adnan murdered Hay with actual evidence, then you'll really be on to something. And with that, I'm done for today. This is way longer than I meant for it to be, as it is every week. Adnan was arrested the next morning, and I can only correct so many deceits and errors and omissions in one week. But I'll be back next week on Reply Brief. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.